The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, you all good? Good level? I'm always at a good level. Coming in hotter than the weather. Listen, if anyone can, I can. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Han. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. Staying relatively cool. It's not mega, mega hot here yet. Yeah, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm just not leaving the house for the next couple of days. Well, not really. Other than to hang out my laundry um, and take advantage of the drying conditions. Um, Dude, it's wild. It's so wild. I'm dehydrating at a ridiculous speed. I'm drinking so much water and just dehydrating at a ridiculous speed. Yeah. Yeah. Stay well, everyone, because this is gnarly. There's a serious, serious heat wave in Europe. Um, Record temperatures in numerous places. Like it's about to hit 40 for like the first time ever in the UK, right? Mm. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, stay hydrated. Stay cool. Yeah. Stay cooler than. I don't know. I was trying to think of something <laughs> cool, but I can't think, think of something really cool. The Andre lyric. You couldn't quote the Andre lyric, could you? Oh, what's called being cool? I, oh, no, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that was Big Boy, right? Who was it? Polar cool Bears. Polar Bears the, yeah, that's yeah, Big Boy, wasn't it? Big Boy, yeah. Poor Big Boy. Look I thought you were talking about um, what's cool and being cool, ice cold, because that was Andre's. God, poor Big Boy. Look at my slander there. He got one of the best lyrics of all time and he gave it to, gave it to his say, man. Stay cooler than Stina Blackstenius in front of goal. Yes, even when she's offside. Exactly. Watch that movement, Stina. Spir- yeah, spiritually Listen. onside. Yeah, we see the vision. Oh, well, yeah, no, I actually, no, actually, I disagree. I think Stina was a little bit spiritually offside, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. I anyway, we'll get, to, we'll get into that. We'll get into we that. hope everyone's staying safe and well, and yes, watch out for the heat. 
you got another Stadio this week and you've got a Wright's house, so you are all good on the Ringer C feed. Back to the normal amount. The days might be a little bit different. Wright's house is coming later in the week. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. Many pods. Uh, check the ringer.com. Loads of good stuff going up. Do you know what I watched over the weekend? What was that? Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Did you enjoy it? Um, Ish. <laughs> well, Carl sent a tweet. Sorry, that, that hesitation says it all. Carl Anker posted a really good tweet about the Marvel phase four, which I think is something that affects Doctor Strange and all the rest of it. There's not enough sense of threat or jeopardy. Like, for me, I mean, this is the thing. I, I've really struggled to get back into Marvel to the same extent ever since Endgame and Infinity War. And, and I think this is the big problem with these, with these movies now. The heroes are too powerful, Ryan. Yeah, they need Kang to arrive quick. But here's the thing. I'm not even that excited by Kang. I'm not even that frightened by Kang. I'm like, yeah. Oh, like, I don't know. You know, I think when we see... Uh... You better shake things up. Listen, Kang. <laughs> you, got, you got a lot to make up. You're 3-0 down. You know, peak Jonathan Majors, I think, is going to, I think is going to be terrifying. I think he's great casting. I just think they need to, like, Marvel need to fix up. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Marvel uh, aficionado like mm. yourself and all of the crew on the Ringiverse pod, Midnight Boys, Mal, all that lot. But um, I enjoyed it. Well, can I plug a series then? Because I want to plug The Bear. Oh, yes. The Bear I, this is on my is list. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh my goodness. Very quickly before we get into all the app and everything else. The Bear is a TV series about um, a man whose brother basically dies and he's like a world, the, the, the man is a world-class chef and he returns from being a world-class chef in a different city to his hometown of Chicago to take over his brother's, his deceased brother's restaurant. In each episode is like 20, 25 minutes and the first season is eight episodes and I just blew through it in a day. It's unbelievable writing. And it's funny because Marvel's like so big. What Marvel is struggling for at the moment is they're not varying the pace enough, varying the tempo. Yeah. Well, let's go from one. Let's go from one cinematic universe to another. And uh, you spent a, you spent some time with a Jedi the other day, I believe. Oh my god! Yeah, I did. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, okay. So how do we even? Well, so yes, you so, so you were at this uh, British GQ um, event thing for a couple of days. You had, you had a chat with Callum Jacobs from Caracom, our good friend Callum. Shouts to Callum. So you yeah, and Callum okay, yeah. had a chat at the event. You were doing like, a, it, was all, it was essentially like a talk you guys were doing, right? Yeah, we were out And there were a load of other people yeah. there. Yeah, so we were, um, there was a, a bunch of people talking about, um, the theme was GQ Heroes. So people doing inspiring work in different fields. And so I got to interview Callum because Callum, Callum's work is inspiring in the world of football culture. What he's done is, you know, really unparalleled in many ways. And I was interviewing him about his book, but one of the people who was speaking the same day was Ewan McGregor. So he was on just before us talking about Obi-Wan with uh, the great Adam Baidari of GQ. So we're in the green room talking for like half an hour with him and his lovely daughter. And he's the nicest man. He is the nicest, funniest, coolest guy, just chatting about everything. Like, and then the funniest, the conversation was funny because I was like, he was like, oh, like I said, are you a football fan? He goes, no, not really. I said, yeah, because I live in, <laughs> no, 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 but no, it's cool. He goes, I'm more into motorbikes and stuff. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I spent a lot of time over in Wolfsburg and I burst out laughing and I said, have you been to, the, and he's like, why are you laughing? I said, have you been to the, um, the Modern Art Museum? And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, like it's one of the best in Europe. And he goes, what are we doing in Wolfsburg? And I was like, oh, well, the women's team plays there. And this whole conversation at Wolfsburg opens up, which is the most random thing. So then we go, and, we go on stage uh, after him and he's on stage and of course he's brilliant. And he comes off stage and he basically like bear hugs me. He was like, you're going to do great. I've warmed up for you. 
And I'm like, oh my God. You <laughs> and McGregor by Jedi. Up for you and so go, I go on stage and I was just like, we're just sitting in front of the crowd and everyone's looking at us so like, how can you follow the most dangerous men in the galaxy? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you he was lovely. So we, we got picked together and he was the loveliest man. Uh, his daughter's absolutely lovely. Look at you. Who would have known that you and McGregor would have bumped into Musa Gwanga, <laughs> part of the Wolfsburg Tourism Board? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fellow members. Exactly. <laughs> wow. All right, well, let's, let's get on to today's show. Today we're going to wrap up some Euro stuff. Uh, yeah. We almost have all of our quarterfinalists set. Mm. And then we'll touch on some transfer stuff. We'll talk about Sandro Martinez to Manchester United. We'll talk about Robert Lewandowski and Rafinha being confirmed for Barcelona. And also a little bit about their situation, mm. why they're even signing people, how they're allowed to sign people. Mm. Spoiler, technically they're not at the yes. moment. And we'll touch on a couple of questions that people hit us up about. So let's get into it after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, and where do you want to begin in the Euros? Because since we've last spoken on Ringer FC, mm. we've had the dead rubber between England and Northern Ireland. England comfortably coming through that five now. Mm. Uh, brace for Alessia Russo, another goal for Beth Mead. Frank Kirby opened the scoring for England and uh, Kelsey Burrow's own goal wrapped up the win for England. But the other game in that group was far more decisive. Austria beating Norway 1-0. Wild. Means that Norway have exited the competition at the group stage. And I feel like this is probably one of the biggest disappointments of the tournament so far. Because without question, I would say. Without they question. were tipped by a lot of people, I think, to go to do pretty well in this tournament. And we said on Wrighty's house that even that after the England result, if they'd put in a decent performance against Austria and got to the quarterfinals and gone out against a I mean, who would they have played? They would have played Germany. Then I feel like if they'd put in the performances for those two games, the 8-0 might have been forgotten or it forgiven. It was too traumatic. It say. was too traumatic. It was too traumatic. And um, I feel like this raises serious questions for Norway. And also just like, you have a player like Ada Hegerberg, who's one of the world greats, who's spent so much time away from the national side and returning to the squad that's a huge boost. And I think they've just like, they've massively underperformed. But maybe we should focus on Austria because I think it's really, it's a good result for them. And I think the yeah. fact that they've got out of that group, I'm not sure whether result. it was more of a surprise to them. I think, I think in the camp, they would have backed themselves to get out of this group in second place. I, oh, um, I feel there's a little bit more belief in that camp than there may, may have been outside of the camp because there are some really, really yeah. good footballers in that squad. Yeah. Norway were badly coached. Mm. Norway were really badly coached. And I keep coming back to this, but that 8-0 defeat, if you see some of the passing combinations between the centre-back and the defence midfielders, right, it's not all about defence. It's about how you play out and the options that you show. And the problem with Norway was it felt like two teams. It felt like you had the front line and the back line that just weren't integrated. It reminded me of the darker moments of 
Manchester United between 2013 and 2022, where you had this attacking talent, but there was just no sense of transition. And mm. transition is where coaches really earn their money, to be honest. And with Norway, it was appalling. If anything should happen, the coach should probably... Well, we might not be around yeah, that long. He's not developed. Yeah, I think, that, I think, he's not developed. I think, yeah, I think that, that, that's the challenge. Now, Austria, no disrespect. I think there was an element of, if we hang in there and we keep things tight, we've got a good chance of getting out. So I think Norway should be very disappointed not to go through with the type of firepower they had. And frankly, with the midfield heft that they had, which should have covered some of the sins they had in their defensive midfield area, defensive mm. area. Um, but yeah, the thing about Austria now is the confidence with which they're moving to the next round. And they've got players that can play on the counter. I mean, we've talked about like Bayern Munich being brilliant on the counter. Players like Zadrasil, for example, who can really like absorb pressure. Does that make sense? Like players yeah. that can really absorb pressure, that can punch out. And now like a really, they're a tough proposition for whoever they face next, I would say. I mean, yeah, they face Germany next in the knockout. And that's going to be interesting because obviously it's a, a, a neighbouring country. Teams that know each other. That's always dangerous, actually. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of that squad who played, who ha- either play or have played in the Bundesliga. So I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup. That's, we'll cover that on Writers House because that one takes place on Thursday. Spain got through against Denmark. And I think Spain have really got away with one here because, definitely, again, yep. in the opening 30 minutes, I think it was maybe the opening half now, yeah, we saw the same thing that Spain have done in every single group game so far and that they started slow and they gave the opposition chances. And Denmark really could have taken the lead. Yes, yes. And they also could have taken the lead before Spain scored. In the second half, they had that great chance from Nadia Nadim where she cut in and kind of was About slightly 11 off minutes to go. Yeah. yeah. If she puts that either side of the keeper to like two feet either side, that's in. Yeah. Yeah. Denmark needed to win the game to go, to go through. And Spain ended up winning with a 90-minute uh, goal from Marta, Marta Cardona. Um, but not fluid. Not at all. They really struggle. They make very, very heavy, heavy weather of chance creation in this game. I think they've made re- heavy weather of every single game in the groups, even the Finland game, which oh, definitely. Yeah. they were, were goal down, remember, and they ended up winning yeah. comfortably. But Finland could have gone two up. We talked about this on Wright's House. Finland could have got two up, and that was by far the easiest free hit. And Spain starting on the back foot. I mean, maybe... Maybe this is one of those, like, you know where you've seen teams really, really struggle in the group stages of the competition and all of a sudden they've won the thing. And you're like, how have they done this? Although, yeah, I know what you mean, but I don't feel this way with Spain because I feel like they don't leave themselves much margin for error. Like, I can't see where their extra gear is. With those teams that struggle through group stages, it's like, okay, when they click, it's going to go off. Mm. But I don't get that from them. And who do they face in in the quarterfinals? England. You know, it's funny though, because Spain have a good... How do I say this? Well, England's press is the best of the tournament. This mm-hmm. is the thing. It's unbelievable. Like it's, I was watching the, uh, the Norway game again and it was absolutely, like Ian said it in the chat, it's relentless. They're just on you. And I think that Spain, they've been comfortable in possession and they haven't faced that. They haven't been chased down, you know, and it's not, it's not the first pass. It's the second pass when Spain make their second pass. And this is the problem. They used to like putting together multiple passing movements, but without that much pressure. Mm. And basically England are going to give them the Leon treatment that Barca got. And it was weird watching this game again. I've been thinking a lot about these Champions League finals because there's the analogy I can draw. And what England did to Norway reminded me of what Barca did to Chelsea in that Champions League final. And that is what Spain have to be ready for, I think, against England because it's going to be a whirlwind. 
England are going to be the strongest side they've faced so far, right? I would say that. Yes, I would say that. Because when they faced Germany, even though Germany have been impressive, they were without their first choice striker, Leah Schuller. Mm. And I mean, they've still got more than enough in that squad, but still. Germany played was... containment in the, yeah, Germany played containment in the, um, in the second half. Mm which was interesting. I think taking a lead that early is that dangerous thing, isn't it? Like, what do you do with it? And Germany were actually like, no, you've got a lead against Spain. This is a tough game. Let's just absorb. Mm. Germany can play on the front foot because we saw them do that in the previous match. But I think that England, the, the stage England are at in terms of their evolution in this tournament, they are peaking. Mm. And of course, it's the classic thing, like don't peak too early. But I also think with football tournaments, if you get your peak, you take it. Like if you reach a level, you just stay at it as long as you can. You ride out as long as you can. Plus they've got great options off the bench. I would just say for Spain, my concern is I'm not seeing a variety of goal scorers there. That game will take place on Wednesday. So we'll cover the England-Spain game on Stadio. Yeah. Germany got through comfortably against Finland. They topped that group. And as we mentioned before, they will play Austria. Sweden got through alongside the Netherlands. Uh, Sweden beating. Portugal 5-0 and the Netherlands coming from uh, well that was a great game it was a great game actually they took the lead Sweden uh, sorry Switzerland uh, equalised pretty quickly and it was just it was that last 10 minutes four goals Switzerland also had a very good chance at one all Kumpaso a very very good chance there was that five minute run where Ramona Bachmann just absolutely torched the the Dutch right hand side Yeah. Yeah. yeah When the spirit, the spirit was, the spirit was speaking through her, but yeah, Switzerland had a really good chance at, at one all, and I felt like if that had gone in, some might say, yeah, well, this, they would have got the goals anyway. Netherlands, I don't agree. Actually, I don't agree because the Swiss rearguard was looking pretty, pretty good mm. um, until a couple of late mistakes. I just think that two one is the one where it could have changed everything for Switzerland. But yeah, that's a shame. But a great game that. One last uh, quarterfinal to be decided. Yeah. Italy against Belgium, Iceland against France. France are already through, so it's Iceland, Italy and Belgium who could potentially grab that final spot. And whoever comes second in that group will face Sweden in the final quarterfinal. So the, fi- semi- the quarterfinals are England versus Spain, Germany versus Austria, Sweden versus whoever comes second in Group D and France versus the Netherlands. That's not the worst thing for Sweden, to be honest, that, that, that outcome, because I know they beat Portugal 5-0, it's going to sound strange, but mm. it's not the most impressive 5-0 I've seen. Like, it's a bit of a catfish scoreline. In the same way that if you look at the 4-1, it doesn't reflect the balance of, of, um, of play. Mm. Sweden's five goals all came from effectively dead ball situations, like four set pieces and a penalty. And it's funny because someone said to me on Twitter, yeah, actually, Portugal have got a real problem with corners. And I was like, okay, this is the thing, right? And it like, it was an extreme case. And the funny thing is that in between the goals, as strange as it sounds, Portugal actually gave a fairly good measure of themselves. Yeah. And the only criticism I've got of Portugal, as I noticed in the first half, they weren't releasing the ball quickly on the counter. It yeah. was really strange. So Jessica Silva was their kind of key ball carrier. And then, well, in terms of like breaking width and gave Rolfo a really good matchup and the flank. Um, and Nazare was coming through the middle, but wasn't releasing the pass. And there's two or three times in the first half where I'm like, if that goes through, you've got a two on one. Mm. And never did it. And never did it. And the gaps just closed really fast. Um, 
But yeah, shout out to Kosovo Aslani in this game who was spectacular. Was spectacular. Um, and just an amazing playmaker in this game. Ran the show. But I think Sweden, they've done pretty well at that quarterfinal draw, whatever they get, because they need to catch a bit of breather. Mm. Because I don't think they've quite picked yet. Can I say it's just been a real joy having that BBC coverage. Thank goodness they've just given it that prominence. And shouts to the zone in Germany as well. Every single live game, every single highlight, like highlights of it straight after all the full game rewatch, as it should be. Really yeah. easy to watch. It's been a great tournament so far. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, man. So let's move on to some men's transfer stuff because we had a lot of questions. Mm. about a certain club oh, goodness, which maybe yes. we should touch on a little bit later but let's have a look yeah. and see if we've got any other questions for us because I actually want to talk about a signing for your beloved Manchester United in a little minute but <laughs> let's touch on uh, Kellen can you all just talk about the importance of Koulibaly in Chelsea's backline I mean we kind of spoke about it the other day a little bit yeah. but Koulibaly to Chelsea I think is a big signing because they've obviously lost Christensen they've lost Rudiger. We questioned the age thing a little bit for the five-year deal, but you, you had a great point about Tuchel. He likes his senior player, yeah. He does, yeah. I mean, how do you feel about it? Because I think it's going to be great. And I think also him playing in front of Mondi, you've got the AFCOM winning keeper yeah. and I love it. Captain. I love the signing. I think it's slightly strange that Levi Colwell is going. Yeah. Um, maybe Chelsea feel they have enough, though. Um, they do have actually they're pretty well they're pretty well stocked at centre back now weirdly enough now Chelsea's problem is not the defence it's so strange right if someone said to you oh in a year when Chelsea get rid of these big defenders the big problem is going to be the attack but it's going to be the attack mm. I think it's going to be the attack because I think they're going to be light on goals and I said this I think I was talking to you guys before like if one of those players catches fire in a way they haven't previously that is that is a, an attack that's really going to struggle and it will struggle to get them into the Champions League, I think, again, because if you look at, at how Spurs have strengthened, for example, the signing of Richarlison is a big, big deal, a big mm. deal in terms of depth. Yeah. Um, 
you now you know United are retooling all of that like and an Arsenal to an extent although the the midfield is going to be a challenge but Chelsea have to be a little bit concerned I think about what they're going to produce in the attack I think that defensively Koulibaly gives you so much because not only is he defensively strong still got a good turn of pace can score as well from set pieces he's a real threat you know he scored huge goals last season um, I think he got one against Juventus uh, in a big game and just you know in terms of the leadership the passing the way he can prompt a counter that's no accident that when Napoli went absolutely you know off the scale in terms of attack he was often at the base of the attacking moves so he's a great great option for them in terms of prompting a game um, it's really remarkable from Chelsea that you look at their defence before and going like who are they going to play there and now it's like actually they've rebuilt really really well mm. it's that attack that's their concern now and it's a credit to Koulibaly that he's so good that their attacks can be their main concern I mean Spurs are really addressing depth issues as well, oh, you talked about Spurs yeah. before, and I think that Mayowa mentioned something about Spurs the other day and how Chelsea, maybe it's going to benefit Chelsea going a little bit more under the radar going into the season. But I think it's weird that Chelsea, I think it's hard for Chelsea to ever go fully under the radar, especially with the, the turmoil that's been going on at the club this, the last season. Like, all eyes are always going to yeah. be on Chelsea. I, there's kind of, I, I mean, there's a kind of a target on them, to be honest. Yeah. I, I think it's a victim of their high achievement, the victim of the Champions League, it put the focus on them. Mm. And this is no disrespect to Chelsea, it's just, it's a very big year for some of those attackers. Yeah. Callum Hudson-Odoi, you know, he had, he had like mobility issues. He was, you know, COVID, yeah. all these other challenges. It's a big year for him. Um, I think it's a big year for Harvard's in terms of Harvard's evolution. I'm not saying he can't get there. I think he's got all the talent to do it. I think Werner needs to kind of really, now he's bedded down. Look, I just think with him, Sterling, Hudson-Odoi in the mix and maybe losing Ziyech, that's still a good core for Chelsea. There's a lot of fluidity there. They just need someone to orchestrate it. I wonder whether Bayern might chuck in a cheeky bid for Werner because they've they've uh, agreed a fee for Matthias De Ligt mm. to go, and I think that that's going to eat up a lot of that. Well, that's the Lewandowski fee plus a bit more. Mm. Um, I think it's like plus fifty percent. Yeah. So more than affordable for Bayern, and I think they've probably got another signing in them, and. I wonder whether Chelsea might need to, I don't think they really need to flip anyone, but if someone comes with maybe like 40 million for Werner, which I'm not sure Bayern would pay that amount of money for, for him. But even th- if you look at some of the, the fees that are going this year, they're actually quite reasonable. Also, Ryan, to- Werner, Werner, Sadio and Gnabry as a front three is nasty. It's really That's, nasty. It's yeah. a really good, it's like, really great, and, great and, front three. Uh, Gnabry and Werner have played together at international level and I think they know each other pretty well. I love that front three for the Bayern if they did so, that. I mean, in terms of, yeah. That could Chelsea. actually help Chelsea out in terms of getting another attacking piece in. Mm. Um, we'll talk, I mean, there are a couple of that have gone off the market now. I mean, if you look at, for example, um, I mean, just back to Spurs because we were talking about them quickly. We'll, we'll talk a little yeah, bit yeah. more about Spurs when we do some maybe like Premier League previews and stuff because we want to touch on a lot of other clubs and some questions about other clubs that we haven't talked about yet. But I was going to mention it later on, but obviously Spurs taking Longley off Barca gives them really good depth at centre-back. I think Longley is, I think his reputation would be a lot higher if he wasn't a Barcelona player. They've obviously also taken his Basuma off Brighton, which gives them real depth in the midfield and Richarlison up front. If they And they're rumoured to be after Depay as well. There's and in, in, def- in, in defence of uh, Longley, the amount of ground you're, you're required to cover as a defender at Barcelona is, is extreme. I think it would have been very hard defending for Barcelona over the last couple of years. Yeah, 
And the compressed spaces that Conte favours, I think really, really benefit Longley. And they'll, they'll benefit his game. Yeah, I think, you'd, I think you'll see a better Clement Longley under Conte agree, yeah. than you would yeah. do in the last couple of years. But also then adding Richarlison for Spurs as well. It's such a marquee piece up top that if they then get someone like Depay, they've essentially just given themselves double the reliable options up front that can chip I love the Richarlison signing for, for, I love the Richarlison signing so much for Spurs that I wonder why Chelsea didn't make it. And this is the yeah. problem when you haven't got a settled back off, a settled front office. Richarlison is the kind of player where a Chelsea board that was fully on it makes a rival bid for. Because he actually fits, how do I say this? Chelsea need him more than, than Spurs did, actually. I think they need him more because I think he knits things together, the forward line, really, really, really well. Um, yeah, out of, of Chelsea's yeah. goals, like Chelsea's goal scoring options at the moment, their goals for, for Premier League games is not yeah, mega. Slow. Yeah, Mayo yeah. put it in the, in the writer's house group the other day and it's, it's not exactly mind-blowing. Um, with Spurs, it's obviously, you've got a record break, like a record partnership there with, with Kevin yeah. Stone. And then you're adding another pretty good piece. I don't think, I think also him not being the main man, Richarlison, will, will probably benefit his development. Yes. I mean, the fee, the, the, fee, yeah. is, the yeah. fee is high, I think, mm. actually. But I think it's a, I think it's one of those that could work out really well for Spurs and could work out really well for Everton in the long it's run. It's one of those ones where everyone wins, isn't it? It's one of those well, signings em, you look at you like, yeah. I think not everyone's, everyone could win. I don't think everyone has one yet because Everton are not exactly the best run club in recent years. So mm. I think that the jury is still out on that, I think, in terms of how they, how they reconfigure. Yeah. But, but I think if, they, if Spurs pick up the pie for like, 17 to 20 million euros which is seems to be the this is all rumours at the moment but then that, that, the pie's that, going from bench to bench though that's the weird thing bench yeah to but bench. also though he's a good option to have for Spurs I think he'd be better than I, I think he's a great option for him have. as a player for yeah as but, a player yeah he'd probably earn a bit more money as well yeah. though and like yeah. I mean unless the, the great there was a couple of rumours going around that would have been amazing it was just like go back to go back to Lyon get the whole band back together there with, yeah. with yes. like Lacazette going back there and Toliso going back there just get yeah. the whole lot back there oh actually talking of Liam we're going to get to that in a bit but that's a signing we both love yeah go on I mention knew, it now I, I knew you had <laughs> some hour going to Betis <laughs> it's so perfect our Fekir the two eights the only problem is that Carvalho is going the other way so actually Leon did pretty well to get Carvalho in the deal William Carvalho has, been, has had a curious career, man. He was on he was on the top of everyone's list. I think it's right, people don't it. take him seriously. Speaking as someone who has also experienced this, I do feel that when you when you're of a certain age and you grow a mustache, people take you a little bit less seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that they should take you more seriously. Can I say this though? And this is this is beyond doubt. I don't expect any backlash from the Stadio community for this. William Carvalho has had arguably the best food of any footballer. I think you've said this before about him. But this is the best food. Look, the man's gone. Lisbon. Mm -hmm. Now he's gone from Betis and now he's gone to Lyon. That's, that's, that is, This man has made exceptional food choices. Lisbon, Seville and Lyon are three extremely, speaking as someone who, let's say, felt the effects of some of Lyon's finest wine (laughs) when I was over there. (laughs) (laughs) It's a sensational, a sensational career. 
It's an inc- it's incredible it, city, Leo. We've talked about I this mean, before, it, but my God. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He's really three of the three of the, the loveliest places in Europe to live. And my man has done all of them. I'm just I'm just so happy for him on a human level. On a human level. I, I would really love to see him in that midfield as well. Gosh, Leon is just ah there's something about it. There's something about it as a town. Like I said, I've always said this, didn't I? Like, why are players staying there? Why do they stay? Oh, they went six yeah, yeah. You go there. Okay, and you know, yeah, you yeah. go there for five minutes. You're like, okay, I know what this is. Before we wrap up on Barcelona, I'm stuck. Mm. We're running out of time already. Maybe we should. We need. Maybe, I don't know whether we need to do a big deep dive on Barcelona because I think, to be honest, now there have been so many people who have asked the question about how they're doing it that people have started to read all of the stuff about how they're doing it. But we'll talk about it again. Let's talk about Lissandro Martinez. Yes. He's a Manchester United player. I am excited. You know, it's so weird about this signing. I'm actually most excited for Argentina. Are you? Yeah, because they've got like a bunch of players who've made career jumps in a World Cup year. So Paolo Dybala looks like he might end up at Roma. That's uh, just, just happened, oh, actually. He's, he's just there, yeah. I mean, this is wild because we also need to talk about something else Roma related. <laughs> so I'm really happy for him. He's got his move. I'm really happy for Alvarez going from River Plate to Man City. And now Lissandro Martinez going to the Premier League. He's going to learn so much there. And he's under Ten Hag as well. And he's a, a ball-playing centre-back, combative, plays in the front foot. Like, this is a, it's a lot of money, um, as I think we've been remarking and discussing. But as we've seen in football, you pay money according to your needs. The one thing that's a bit weird, again, is just this absence of defence midfielder that United have got. I'd, I'm yeah, so because a lot because he's he's not he's not going to play centre midfield. He's going to play centre. No, of course not. Yeah, so it's baffling. It's so weird. It's like well, and the, and the pursuit of Frankie De Jong. Don't get me wrong. I understand why it's being made, and it's going to. It's a long time to get a signing like that in, but he clearly doesn't want to come to United. Mm. Uh, it'll be a money thing if he gets sold, and this is part of the Barcelona this could problem. Be our we'll seg- this could be our segue on we'll segue into that. But, we'll but segue let's talk that, about yeah. Martinez first because he's obviously a player who's played under Ten Hag at Ajax. Ten Hag mm. really didn't like him at centre midfield. He was well, a defensive midfielder. He then played, he really broke through as a centre-back. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I saw a thing land in my inbox from Grace Robertson about how she's un- still, why she's unsure about short centre-backs mm. in the Premier League. I've yet to read it, but this is an interesting issue because I can't think of a huge amount of short centre-backs that have thrived in the Premier League. Even if you think of someone now, you think of someone like Javier Mascarano, right, who as mm. a, is a short centre-back. He didn't become a centre-back until he'd left the Premier League. Exactly. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. Because we've just seen, look, we've just seen the aerial dominance. We've seen the trend. And look, City and Liverpool have skilled, have just scaled up big time. City bought two huge strikers. Liverpool have bought a huge striker as their first choice. Like it's going, football's going the other direction in terms of physicality and height. Not that he hasn't got physicality, but the height issue. So this will be a thing, like he'll get targeted. Like, and I'm, look, I'm sure Ten Hag has thought about this, but it's just something that he has to be aware of. He will get targeted in the air. It's natural, why wouldn't you? Like we saw, um, what Canate did in an aerial context last year. We saw what Van Dyke can do. We've been seeing it for the last few years. It's just a thing people are going to go at, at set pieces. Mm. And in transitions, it's an easy win, unfortunately, for, not an easy win, but it's an easy option to attack. So yeah, he better, better get to jumping. And it's not even just height in terms of vertical leap. It's in terms of your presence. 
That's the thing. It's in the penalty area. Masking some of the ball, just having height affects the line of sight of, a, of, of, a, of an attacker. So all of a sudden, if someone's a head taller than you, they can edge you out in crucial spaces. So I just think it's, I, hopefully it's overstated as, as a challenge or as a problem. But it is inviting, it's inviting a certain form of, of attack, I would say. Uh, breaking news, I've just seen that West Ham, uh, Fabrizio Romano is reporting that West Ham have made a £30 million offer for Brogia from Chelsea. I'm waiting for Chelsea oh, to what? answer. Then, I like uh, that for them. Then a buyback. I like just, that yeah, for them. I would them. have loved him to have stayed at Southampton though, to be honest. But, you know. Yeah, I, I, likewise. I, like, I, I would have loved that. And I also think it's a smart signing. Oh yeah, it's a great signing. If they do pull that off. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot of money yeah. though. It's a big fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick one from uh, honorary lifelong standard president, sedentary oh, guy. Gary, yeah. The Mourinho tattoo. Did any of us see it coming? Now, for those oh, who haven't goodness. seen it, Jose Mourinho has got this tattoo of the three European trophies as one with little coloured circles uh, uh, acknowledging the teams that he's won them with. Now, my first response I- personally was, why is this not a sp- the Spitting Cobra tattoo? <laughs> can, I, can I say this? The specific tattoo configuration is not one I anticipated, but none of this is a surprise. Nothing His about it surprises me anymore. His story arc is proceeding precisely as expected, mm. precisely as expected. And I would say that in every place he's managed, he's assumed the form of the place. Like he's assumed the energy in some respects of like, if you look at like the core ultra of any club he's coached at, I think Mourinho at some point has embodied like the ultra energy. Like there's going to be Roma fans that look at this and go, yeah, he's one of us. He gets it. He gets it. Like, if you put, you know, when Cassano used to walk around with his, like, the, um, with the white, the white shirt on, the sleeveless white shirt on, mm. the undershirt. You put Cassano next to Mourinho and be like, yeah, those two are like peas of a pot. I just think it's such a, it's so, it's, if it, if it is so Mourinho, isn't it? It's so. I keep seeing Emily Oram posting screenshots of his, of Jose Mourinho's Instagram stories because he keeps including, including his feet. It's like Mourinho's straight into foot pics. I should should be on an OnlyFans page. (laughs) (laughs) Mourinho is nothing if not compelling. He's so mischievous now. Yeah, Um, yeah. All right, let's wrap on the Barcelona stuff because we've been, we talked about it a little bit last week and we've talked about it, we've talked about it before. It's essentially the same as it was last season but mm. a little bit more evolved. Kind of like what the hell that they're doing. And we had a oh, few, goodness. we've had a lot of questions from people saying like, mm. how are Barcelona doing this? Now, mm. in short, Barcelona are in a really similar position to what they were last season, albeit the figures are, have evolved and are slightly different. And they're mm. a little bit further ahead in recouping debts or getting themselves out of financial trouble, even though they're still a million miles away from that. The players that they have signed so far, they're not registered. Yeah. They cannot be officially registered to play competitive football until Barcelona recoup a load of finances in order to, like the, Sid Lowe wrote a great piece for ESPN about, play, and about how they're doing this. And the thing that I found most, the most striking about it was that in La Liga, the players are registered you know, using this app and literally it's like it won't let you register a player if you don't have the financial criteria within the system to do it. 
kind of thing. Which is the question, and this is, so here's the thing, it's funny because Sidlow and um, Swiss Ramble. Uh, yeah, Swiss Ramble wrote a great thread actually. They're brilliant, brilliant financial blogger uh, based in Switzerland who's just like super smart. Um, Gets into the nitty gritty of football finance so you don't have it's to. It's wild because they wrote excellent explainers and I ended up even more confused and here's why. Mm. They cannot register these players yet. They bought Rafinha, they bought Lewandowski, they bought Kessier, they've got Christensen. My question is this, how do they prioritise? Can I just jump in really quickly? Just because I want to yeah. read these two short paragraphs from Sid's piece because I think it will set up oh, really please. what you're about to say. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Sid says, how could Barcelona, a club reportedly 1.3 billion euros in debt, do this? How could they, with a salary limited set by La Liga of minus 144 million euros, chase so many players and at such a cost? And why would the league let them? How can a club described by their own vice president as, quote, clinically dead when they took over from the regime that led them almost to ruin, with aspirations only to get out of the ward, never mind the hospital, sign all these players? The short answer is that they can't. Kessier and Christensen were presented this week, but they can't be registered because Barcelona don't meet the league's financial fair play criteria. They are not within the salary limits La Liga sets, in other words, and those budget deficits prevent their new players from formally joining the squad. For now, anyway. They will eventually, or at least that's the aspiration and the expectation, which is why they can't isn't really the answer, even if it's strictly speaking about the present. So basically, if everything stays the same, their financial situation stays exactly as is, Barcelona won't be able to register the players that they've right they've brought in, and this happened last year. Yeah, yeah. What they've done is, and we I think we talked about this on the last show, or we've talked about it before, is that they've essentially committed to signing, bringing all these new players in before they found a uh, before they found space to even bring them in, and that's why they are aggressively trying to offload players like De Jong. This is why they were aggressively trying to ask players for pay cuts or to essentially backload their salary you know so like start their salary small and gradually their salary will increase as they expect their financial situation to improve so yeah anyway I wanted to look because I think that from the jump I feel like we're repeating ourselves because I swear to god we've talked about this two or three times the reason to be honest with with you and I sound a bit harsh here it still sounds like special treatment it still sounds like special treatment like so you're buying players well, and it feels, it, it may, it may not be, but the feeling, the feeling, it feels like that to me looking at it. And I'm not, I'm sympathetic to Barca in many ways. What I'll say is this, the financial and lay aside how I feel about it ethically or whatever, morally, whatever it is, because I still have issues over how Messi was, Messi was dealt with uh, or handled. Um, this loan, so they basically sold 10% of their La Liga rights for the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. Now that works out, the fee works out. They basically, they sold them for like, 207 million euros, right? And they've got to pay back over 400 million, which is, and for anyone who's ever taken out any kind of loan, that's an astonishing rate of payback. But for them, it feels like it's worth it because they're going to get like what, they're paying back uh, 60 million a year for 200 million up front, which is, you know, not the worst given their situation. Uh, and set aside how badly things must have gone for them to be in this position. What I'm concerned about is the long-term financial future. Mm. It's very because, like short-term because they're trying to flip yeah. another. They're trying to flip another fifteen percent of their TV rights for hundred million. Now here's million, the, now here's the thing I anticipate. Trigger the six hundred million that they're supposed to recoup before they can 
uh, uh, like basically green light all of this transfer stuff. Here's a scary thing for them as well. They cannot, there's two things for them. They cannot afford another pandemic lockdown. No. They lost an astonishing amount of money. Um, the headline figure was like over 500 million they lost last year. Uh, and exceptional COVID losses were about 300 million. They lost a huge amount last year. They registered the greatest, but the biggest loss in, in a single season for a football club, right? Right. Now, this is the thing. They can't, it's external factors are going to hurt them. There's two external factors that are going to hurt them. There's either another lockdown type situation, which is not, in the next 25 years, you wouldn't bet against another pandemic happening. The other thing that you wouldn't bet against happening is a club like Newcastle offering a staggering amount of money for one of their marquee players, for a Pedri or for a Gavi, whoever comes through next. And that could be, you know, we have the kind of, we talk about the Neymar transfer breaking Barcelona. That, if Barcelona produce another like astonishing generational player in the next 25 years, which they will, their club has to encounter the heartbreak of losing some of that again. I think they're going to. And I think, but I yeah, think they'll the, have to, they'll the have only to. thing this time is that if they do, actually, weirdly, for Barcelona, like a Newcastle taking, taking someone, I mean, a lot of this depends on the player wanting to go, but a Newcastle going Gavi. in and taking a, a marquee player off them for a huge amount of money. One of the younger players at the moment actually isn't that great because their salaries are kind of manageable. It's one of the more senior players. It would actually be like, you know, not the Frankie Dunn. Frankie, Frankie Dunn doesn't want to go to Manchester United, so I doubt that he would want to go anywhere else. Um, but if, if, for example, like Newcastle, I don't know, wanted Samuel and Titi for 50 million euros and because he's just signed right. a new deal in order to kind of like, I think, reduce his salary up front and, and increase it lower down the line, but it's so that they can actually sell him. So it adds value to the sale thing. This is what Barca are doing at the moment. They're trying to basically yeah. make everyone that they, they want to sell in that squad as, uh, as flippable and as, as profitable as possible. And I'm not sure, but the thing is, everyone knows about it. So, for example, like Spurs, the Spurs to Pi thing, like the Pi should probably go for more than 20 million euros, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Probably. But everyone's looking at them and gone, okay, so you've got all of these guys already. You spent 50 million on Ferran Torres in January and you've just gone and bought Lewandowski for 50 million euros. You've already got Obama Yang. You've got Depay. We didn't even, last week, actually, we reckon, we realised this in the Rise House group when we were talking about Barca's front line, we didn't even mention Depay. Right. And he, was, and he was, and he, we said earlier last season, I remember in the opening stages of last season, one of the great things about Depay is that even though he's probably not the kind of level that Barcelona would have hoped to have, yeah. he came in and he was like, this is my team. And he really got them through in the opening stage of the season. Yeah, yeah. He did really well. Yeah. So, but my point is that everyone knows that they need to sell and they know that they need the money and that they know that they need the wages off the books. So Barcelona is in this weird position where they're kind of like, they're, everyone, they're not going to be able to flip a marquee asset for their actual value because... No, no. And, and if, if, if any big club is looking to poach someone from Barcelona right now, it's the time because you're going to get them pretty cheap. You can even like offer them bigger wages in it in because you're spending less on their transfer fee. And you can also just say to them, listen, it's pretty chill over here in comparison. That's the thing. And if a, if a club like Newcastle offers a huge amount of money 
less than the release clause, but let's say a huge amount of money, like what, 300, 400, whatever. Like that, that, and that sounds terrible, but those, that, that club has that financial heft to do that at this point. Then the board can't say no, actually. The board can't say oh. no to that. They won't, they won't be able to. It'll be bad finances to do that. Well, this is the thing. They can't say no to anything at the moment, which is why they are. They've set so themselves Laporte, up for a horrifying amount of heartbreak. Yeah, like Laporte put these, said this thing about financial levers putting in place, right? So one of them was the TV deal that you mentioned about selling their own their TV rights. The other mm. one is selling uh, 49.9% of the share of the, the marketing private, and company, yeah, yeah, Barcelona yeah. licensing and marketing. Or merchandise, I think it is. Barcelona licensing and mer- merchandise, right? I think. Goodness. Um, that they reckon, according to Swiss Ramble they, and Sidlow, they reckon that could generate 200 to 300 million euros. Um, Vice President Romeo said that the licensing and merchandising is a significant source of income with major potential given the strength of the Barca brand, but needed collaboration with strong partners. But remember, as Swiss Ramble mentions as well, on top of that, they've just approved the Camp Nou remodeling, which is going to require another 1.4 billion euro loan from Goldman Sachs on top of their existing debt. What the hell are they doing? But the thing is, Barcelona the- have got themselves into this trouble where they they need, Camp Nou needs, is in desperate need of renovation and desperate need of like just- modernising because they what Barcelona don't have compared to other clubs, clubs of their stature, and this is why you're seeing Real Madrid do it as well, is the hospitality stuff, the corporate seats, that kind of whole thing. It's nowhere near the level of some of the clubs around Europe. Um, but again, it's kind of like, it's everything at once. And this is why you're seeing these kind of unprecedented, wild financial maneuvers with Barcelona because they, they've got a load of, they've essentially got everything and they need to, it's like, it's like everyone's in the boat Right, but, mm. and what they need to do now is book it all the water out. Yes, you know yes, I mean? yes everyone's already yes. in the boat. You know, yes. and they probably that's a great, and they don't that's have a great enough, analogy, and they don't have enough buckets. You know, that's a great analogy. You've got the strongest, you've got the strongest sailors, the strongest rowers, and the shore is a thousand kilometers away. And everyone knows the sad thing about it is. So no, you're right. I'm just I'm as frustrated as you are because this was so, like so many things in our political and social context, it was utterly avoidable. It was utterly avoidable. Like the London Underground right now is like a clay oven for anyone traveling in it. That is, that was not inevitable, right? Things were allowed to deteriorate over time. Work wasn't done. Money wasn't spent. And now people are going to be dehydrating and almost cooking in those environments. Barcelona's financial situation was not inevitable. This never had to happen. It never had to happen. The Neymar money could have been reinvested in youth, and they could have just been patient, bought one winger, or just bought another striker, reconfigured the attack, and just carried on moving. But they didn't. But they didn't. And that is what will always get me about this. And it's weird, because I'm not a Barcelona fan, but I'm so frustrated because I'm like, look, if you're going to stand for something, if you're going to try and be more than a club, if that's your thing, then stick to your goddamn guns. Because if you don't, this is what happens. And it it's so sad because Barcelona, they are more than a club now. They're a morality tale. They're a morality tale. And that is the most painful thing I think I've said in this podcast in a while because it hurts to see this, actually. As a football fan, as someone who, you know, football clubs are the custodians of dreams. 
And this is, they're the custodian of a nightmare at this point. I get that Barcelona need better players. I get that. Mm. But they finished comfortably in the Champions League this season. Yeah. Javi has proved himself to be a good coach. They've got a good squad of players there. What they needed was to steady the ship. Yes. And the thing that's worrying about this move for Barcelona, from my point of view, is that, yeah, sure, it's going to, all of these financial levers and stuff like that are going to allow the club to sign Robert Lewandowski. Unbelievable player. And oh my God, anyone in world football would want him. They would allow him, they'd allow them to register all of these other players. Rafinha, sign Rafinha for a huge amount of money. I mean, like, think of the fees. They've spent, this is their situation, and yet they've spent over 100 million euros in fees on players that they can't even register at this moment in time. The thing that is worrying to me is that a year ago, they could not, not even sign, they could not extend the contract of probably the greatest player of all time who had been at the club since he was a child because of the financial situation that was fully self-inflicted. What that should have triggered was like, well, we cannot be in this situation ever again. So what we need to do is we need to think long-term and we need to make sure that we are in a position that we can, basically, we may, we may not be able to sign many, many good players for a couple of years, but we have to figure this out. We have to mm-hmm. figure this out. And maybe one or two of these financial levers would make sense. They're bringing more players in and forking out more money. And I know that there's always clever accounting that goes on. Uh, Sid quoted the Artur Pjanic deal. As this a, feels as an too clever. It feels too like, clever. There is a lot going on here. And we said, yes. I think, on, po- on the podcast the other day about how, like, you know, um, I'm not sure if we cut it actually, but about how everyone says that accounting is a really dull job, but those Barcelona accountants are like... Having the time of their lives. It's essentially like the, uh, the accounting concept album, mm. what they're yes. doing at the moment. <laughs> yeah. King of limbs, it's there. But yeah. my point is, is that if losing the arguably the greatest ever player, if that doesn't teach you, which we've seen that it hasn't, then what will? Then what will? All of these clever financial levers in quotes that uh, Laporte is talking about. Yeah, they're great in order to allow the club to kind of like return to some kind of normality, but it's mortgaging the future of the club up against it. So what are they going to do in 20 years time? This is what... And Just this to get is, a couple, yeah. of mil, couple of hundred million euros in so they could sign good players, great players, but ultimately players that they did not need in 2022. It's... Oh my God, you've said it perfectly. And this is the frustration I have here. And you've, you've laid it out all perfectly. Just from front to back, I look at this situation and just think it is a, yeah, mortgaging the future. Mortgaging the future. And, I, and it's, it's awful because I, I'm actually, I, I have nothing more to add or to say about this situation. I just, it's the same as what we were saying last season. It's nothing's really changed. Yeah, it's just yeah, the, yeah. The, the kind of, it's like. And actually, it, the one thing I feel out, sorry, the one thing I will add to this is I went from, when I read the financial breakdown of what they were doing, I went from initially thinking, how are they doing this to now? How are they actually, actually being allowed to get away with this? Like. Well, well they're being allowed yeah, no, to no, get no, away no, with no, it no, because ultimately, not, not, like, ultimately, they're in, they're they're there to run the football club, right? So if if right. if and it's all just figures, like La Liga's salary cap stuff is in place, and but it's basically it's a legit target. So they're like, yeah, now they've got the target, and they just need to hit yeah. that, and then they can activate all of these signings, register all these signings. It's all fine. They have enough faith that they can generate enough revenue over the next however long that they may not have to do these drastic things this season. But if you think about it, even without the signings, this is what's so wild to me. 
This is these are people who are supposed to have the club's existence and interest at heart, right? Yeah. They are making it even more fucking difficult for themselves. And before they even signed anyone, it was going to be difficult. The pain of losing Messi is mm. so deep. And people are now trying to scramble back to that level. You know, it's one of those things where when you've won a treble so recently, it's 2050, they won a treble. Oh my God. And there's, the ticker tape is still falling for some of those people. They're still seeing the glory and they don't realise. They haven't accepted that this is the dark ages for Barcelona in relative mm. terms because they're still, still finished second in La Liga. But in terms of like where Barcelona should be in their terms of their history, this is a dark age for them. And I think that's the problem that United had. United, 2013, lost Ferguson, had the rebuild. They tried to get back to the mountaintop too quickly instead of a proper rebuild. And that's where they spent years struggling because they tried all these quick fixes. And the problem is with football, unfortunately, it's very, very rare that you see a club that takes a big hit and rebuilds sensibly. You know, here's the scary thing about this. This is the weird thing, the ironic thing of all of this, right? The club that's actually made the most impressive moves in terms of a rebuild is actually Paris Saint-Germain. The club that I look at with so much criticism for off-the-field stuff, you know, we've gotten to all the stuff, the Qatar, we talked about this, but the moves that Paris Saint-Germain have made since re-signing Mbappe, bring in Gautier, bring in Luis Campos, don't spend the world money on Pogba. Like, look at Renato Sanchez. It's all scarily sensible. There's that favourite saying about like, you know, all the gear, no idea, right? Yes. And, oh my goodness. Yep, yep. And, and now PSG have kind of got all the gear and a little bit of an idea. Yeah. What Barcelona, like you've seen with the players, like Robert Lewandowski forced to move out of Bayern Munich, basically, to go to Barcelona. That's how much players still want to play for Barcelona, right? Yeah. And the thing that they have done is like they shouldn't have they shouldn't have needed to pay all of that money. No. Because if you look at the Barcelona a decade or so ago, yeah, they spent some big money, like they spent the big money on Zlatan, it didn't work out, etc. But, you know, they got Cesc Fabregas from Arsenal, for example, for an absolute steal because as soon as they planted that seed that they wanted him, he, that, was the, that was the only place he wanted to go, which makes the market for that player smaller. So yep. you have to flip. And that was actually like a, a, a constant that you would see in the first, the first kind of like Laporte era. Yeah, yeah. And Russell as well, to be fair. You know, they would dine out on the Barca uh, reputation. Oh yeah, we're interested in this person or this person's got Barcelona DNA. And all and of a sudden the they're picking them up for yeah. mega cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the fees they've paid for people. We're, we're literally repeating what we said a year ago, so we need to wrap this up. But you yeah. look at the fees that they have like paid pe for people. Yeah, I know fees have gone up and I know that football clubs, especially clubs like in the Premier League, are so financially stable on the whole. You know, they're so, they're so financially dominant compared to no, numerous of the leagues in Europe. They don't need to sell their biggest assets or their, their, their most valuable right. assets as much as they used to. But still, like Barcelona is not a well-run football club and it used oh, to God. be. Oh God, yeah. There's a good chance that anyone who listens to this podcast, who's ever listened to it, runs their finances significantly better than Barcelona. Even us too. Even us too. <laughs> <laughs> that is saying something. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, well, you're yeah, right. We yeah. should wrap that, I think. Because no, it's you're like, right. You're right, man. What you're else right. can we really say about it? What else can we say? I reckon we should probably leave it there for today. Let's bounce. We've Let's probably bounce. missed loads of stuff, but we'll catch up. We'll catch up. In yeah, there. of course. Don't forget to check the ringer.com. Check Wrighty's house up on the feed and another one coming in a couple of days or a few days. We're going to do Stadio Thursday, Wrighty's house Friday. Yeah, let's do it. Anything you want to add, Mr. Okonga? 
I will actually add a call for hydration just because these are extreme circumstances. Oh my God, yeah. Please yeah, so do. please, like, please, take, regularly yeah. throughout the day. Like, yeah, yeah. Look after yourself, everyone. It's not, yeah. this is no Get joke. Get your salts in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to play out on Mystic Eyes by the Mystic Tide. I reckon that's it for today, man. Yep, sounds all good. All right, until later in the week. Much love. See you then. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.